Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Ship. I'm Megan Fitzgerald. I'm Katie Butterwitz. And here we are. We're back. You know what I feel like this moment is? is what? You know, coming out of a, a kind of a dark episode, some like harder times is this is a joke for four people. It's um, that scene in the Muppet Christmas Carol and Gonzo and Rizzo come back and they're like, we're back. We told you we'd make it for the finale. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing and really accurate. And yeah. the most niche joke I've ever heard in my life. That is a joke for my mom and maybe one or two other people. And if you are those other people, please hit me up. It's a good thing we're not doing lists for movies right now. I'm sure we will, but you'd have to let everyone know that your favorite movie is Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, let's be clear. It's also not my favorite Christmas movie. It is my favorite movie. Yeah, no, all encompassing. (laughs) Oh, so that being said, we're back for the happy stuff because, guys, we've been through it all. We've talked about their buildup. We've talked about them dating other people, them getting together, them breaking up and getting back together and breaking up again. So today we're talking about where the series leaves Luke and Lorelai. And by the series, we are including the reboot because we consider it canon and Mm -hmm. um, where this all leaves Luke and Lorelai and this promise that they'll be together forever, because that's kind of what the series leads us to believe is that they end up together. As Luke Mm -hmm. puts it, the only way out is in a body bag. So, which is so you know morbid that it's almost romantic again <laughs> exactly it's one of those like all right that's a little dark but i'm gonna take it but we're in stars hello and it's fine <laughs> so today we're talking about how do they get back together what factors have to happen for them to end up together in a healthy believable way and do we buy this do we support this and if we had a real luke and lorelei in our life would we flash mob at their wedding uh, <laughs> to Steely Dan. Steely Dan. <laughs> what do they? Oh, what do they sing about? They sing about losing their hair and their backs hurting. I love that scene. It's really good. This rewatch of Year in a Life made me like a Year in a Life a lot more. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting watching it right on the tails of season seven because yeah. obviously <laughs> season seven we all missed, you know, ASP. Right. Um, and I think it was nice then. I mean, I was telling you this when we were texting, prepping for this. I'm a sucker mm-hmm. for a reboot mm-hmm. uh, in that I really love the nostalgia factor. Like I, I in the reboot, and we'll get there when we get there, but every time someone shows up from the series, it's yeah. like this huge victory. It's like, oh yeah. my God, you're here. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so exciting. And I think that all the things that come up that are nostalgic are such incredible fan service so really if nothing else maybe the shippers made this happen that like we they owed it to us to give us this reboot but then I also think you know in certain ways it was too nostalgic so we'll get there when we get there also like the reboot came out in November of 2016 so we Mm -hmm. were all in a certain place when we were watching that (laughs) and I think maybe I wasn't absorbing all of the things I was meant to be absorbing yeah so do you like it? In a, I hadn't a thought more. about that. I also realized that's like right before, immediately before I got Gilmore the Cat. So I must have oh, just yeah. been heavily influenced. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's him Gilmore. Also, he's just for for ambiance. So, you know, he's being the, a whole lunatic right now all over the room. 
he must be very excited about <laughs> this happy ending. Really excited about them ending up together. If we yeah. haven't mentioned this on the podcast, and I don't know if we have, Katie's cat is named Gilmore. Oh yeah, his name's Gilmore. That's why she got the job. His full yeah, that's, that's the only that's my only qualification, <laughs> really. I'd never watched the show before. <laughs> um his full name is actually uh, a t- big TV nerd's dream. It's Gilmore. Gilfaisan Charmed, I'm sure. Backup <laughs> Mars Butterwitz. So you've got a little bit of uh, you've got a little bit of Gilmore Girls, a little bit of Oh Hello with Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, mm-hmm. and then a little bit of Veronica Mars and me. Yes, yes. <laughs> or the next season we do together will be Veronica Mars, and the third season we do together will be Oh Hello. <laughs> and we're just going to talk about yeah, we're going to talk about Gil and and George. Yes. So. Obviously, Luke and Lorelai are a couple that have gone through a lot. This is why we picked them in the first place. They have many phases and many ups and downs. But what they're like in the final seasons and what they're like in the reboot are still some very relatable situations that we see in our real lives with non-fictional people, non-fictional couples. So to figure out if you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation, we're going to go into our segment, Relatable Content. It may. So (laughs) if any of these statements relate to you, if you find this to be relatable content, you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation yourself. So you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you just keep coming back to this one person. Mm -hmm. In the same vein, you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you can't imagine your life without this person in some capacity, whatever that is. And... You might be Luke and Lorelai if there are some large communication issues that you also keep coming back to. Word. This, I mean, listen, we got real here in the middle. I don't know why. This is a doozy too. You might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you're letting the reality of your relationship be affected by the years of built up what if expectations and fantasies in your head. Mm-hmm. And you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you find yourself looking for big fixes, big things to fix the relationship. But actually, the needed fix might be within yourself. You might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you would still do anything for this person, no matter what type of rocky shape your relationship is in at any given moment. Ugh, yes, when they show up at the hospital for each other. the I know. Complimenting hospital. Even when she gets on the phone with him and helps well this is the first hospital instance but just like gives him advice about april being sick i was like it doesn't matter how fucking weird they are with each other they're still gonna be there yeah it was like instinctual i love that you might be in a luke and lorelei situation if if you have a person that comes up every time you do karaoke i feel really victimized by that and i don't appreciate your tone Wow, it's like every song has to do with them. (laughs) Why am I crying? I'm just trying to stand on a bar and sing a song. (laughs) Oh, so I'm allowed to do that. Okay, (laughs) you are. You know what? And you are known for it. (laughs) Uh, Oh, okay. I actually think the karaoke was really good for her in a lot of ways, but we'll get into it. It was, but man, if if there is. It's hard to think of Gilmore Girls as a show that jumps the shark because there's sort of no shark for them to jump. It just always right. does what it does and it's always kind of weird. Yeah. But if there's a moment, it's that. <laughs> yeah. That was it's like her- a whole other show. <laughs> it was so just to do it in a silly way is one thing, but to have it be like this earnest 11th hour torch song is really something else. 
you know what actually truly is jumping the shark though is the Sutton Foster Christian Moral Musical. <laughs> Jump <laughs> the shark. <laughs> Like, are we to believe these people have just been citizens of Stars Hollow and we're sitting on like a major Stars Hollow musical theater community right, this whole time? We're sitting on Sutton Foster and Carrie Butler. Oh, uh, all right. But before we get into that, let's talk about how the seven season series ends and how do these two deeply messed up people find their way back to each other throughout the mm-hmm. final season. Um, and I think that there's a few things that happen that... Uh, help us as an audience reasonably believe that they have worked through their issues and they have gotten back together. Yeah. Um, before we jump into season seven, if you're listening and you were either a very young person when you watched season seven, like we were, or you were living under a rock or something, um, season seven was the first and only season that aired on the CW, which was the network that we now know and love that was formed when the WB merged with UPN. So in those business negotiations, the Paladinos left us and we were sort of riding with different showrunners just for this last season. So Mm -hmm. if you didn't notice and didn't have any objections, that's amazing. If you did notice and you were like, I never really liked season seven, I'm not sure why, hopefully that can ease your brain a little bit. Someone else is humming the ship. They thought that they would have another two seasons to end it after six. Interesting. They they wanted eight. And it still would end the way that it ended. Obviously, the final four words would have been the same. But they wanted eight seasons. We could talk forever about this one, too. Bring back to Luke and Lorelai. I think it is a little more viable that they had two seasons to get back together instead of one. I think so. Yeah. Because yeah. it just ended up being a little bit rushed, which yeah. it worked and I wasn't upset about it, but it didn't take the sort of long con time that everything else has taken them thus far. Right, 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 right. So let's talk about what does happen. So Lorelai gets together with Christopher and just to briefly recap kind of what happens between them so then we can get to it ending with Christopher. After Lorelai and Christopher sleep together in the finale of season six, Christopher essentially tells Lorelai that he's all in and he will wait for her until he's 80. He's in it for the long haul. And then they kind of end up very quickly getting together and eloping. And it all happens very quickly. And then it dissolves very quickly. Ironically, I feel like this relationship kind of does parallel the Luke and Lorelai originally getting together because... Like Luke was, Christopher is so clearly the leader in the relationship. He's the one, you know, taking the steps and she's following behind. And there are things that make sense about why they get together. It's not completely unjustified, as I think some people think that it is. They they do present the reasons why she would do it. Like, he Hmm. wants to get married. He wants to include her in his parenting decision. He's offering the literal things that Luke wasn't, and it's everything she's craving. And, you know, when she talks about them getting engaged in Paris, she's like, I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to get talked out of it. I just wanted to do it. So in a lot of ways, it's everything that's the opposite of Luke. And I think that happens a lot when you rebound is that your next person is everything that you were missing in the last relationship, which is actually why I feel like the five love languages test is always skewed based on who your last relationship was because you're always going to want what you didn't get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why I feel like I always want acts of service. I didn't get it. Um, Anyways, so what happens in this relationship is that the reckoning we talked about in a previous episode happens in that 
Lorelai realizes she's not all in. The unevenness doesn't come to a moment where she realizes she needs to be all in to make it work and she wants that. She realizes she does not want to be all in. And I feel like that's why it dissolves. Yeah, I completely agree. I run so hot and cold with Christopher, obviously, because he is such a good fit for Lorelai or he should be or something. Mm -hmm. And a part of it, I think, is that they've known each other forever. Like, it's effortless and their banter is also fantastic and they get along so well and it, like, could or should be easy. It could or should be an easy fit. I think that's ultimately what it is was she had to give it like the real college try Mm -hmm. in order to rule it out because previously we've talked about Christopher under the umbrella of being Lorelai's ex, but I think he also falls under the umbrella that we talked about of being a good 90% option. He should be right for her. He just isn't. And there is that intangible that you sort of can't pinpoint. Honestly, the whole Christopher marriage even down to all the Paris stuff. We're talking Paris, the city, by the way. I just want to like pop that in oh, there. Yeah. They elope in Paris. We're not talking about Paris, yeah. the character. They get married in Paris. Continue. They go to some really brilliantly painted sets on the yeah. WB soundstage Oof. in Burbank, Oof. California. <laughs> but that being said, like, listen, in terms of we're talking one man's trash, another man's treasure. That is exactly what we're talking about. Her whole marriage with Christopher really reminded me of everything with Max in season one and early mm-hmm. season two, where it should have been perfect. Yeah. It was gorgeous and amazing. And it was everything she quote unquote wanted. But I think what's so important in when she actually does decide to end her marriage with Christopher, or they both kind of mutually decide, she says, Uh, I need you to know you're the man I want to want. And he says he understands. And that's so important Mm -hmm. because I think she's finally, at least in that moment, understanding that there are kind of things you can't control. It just has to be right. And she gives that advice to Rory in the reboot too. Like it's just got to fit. And it didn't fit with unmemorable Paul. Um, (laughs) Oh my God. So sad. (laughs) That poor guy. That's so sad. But I think that's so important. It's one of the most important things she's learned where it's like you can have something where on paper everything is right about it. And listen, not everything was right about the Christopher situation. He had some mad jealousy issues, which we'll Mm -hmm. loop around to in a second. But beyond that, even though he should have been her Prince Charming happily ever after the life she always planned, it wasn't right. And wanting it wasn't enough. And I think that was a really important lesson for her to learn. Yeah. And I actually think part of her journey to realizing that she still has feelings for Luke is writing his character reference. I also think that this is, the letter is a huge part of why they break up. So just to Mm -hmm. do a little plot recap, Christopher finds this character reference that Lorelai has written for Luke so that Luke can get custody of April, which we'll get into in a second. And he gets insanely jealous about it. And he ends up realizing that she still has feelings for him, arguably before she realizes that she still has feelings for Luke. And he says, I can't be your second choice, um, which is fair. I mean, who could? And it's kind of these fits of jealousy that end up being the kicker. Him seeing Luke at the hospital when her dad gets sick and him not showing up to the hospital when her dad gets sick, which is woof. Um, I mean, he he put the nail in his own coffin there. That was not a good move. Right. 
joke. And I think that the character reference was a huge part of him realizing that she's still in love with Luke and her realizing she's still in love with Luke. This letter is a big part of it. So just to give you a sense of the letter, we're going to play a quick snippet of it. Luke has been a sort of father figure in my daughter's life. With his own daughter, Luke wasn't given the opportunity to be there for her first 12 years, but he should be given that opportunity now. Once Luke Danes is in your life, he is in your life forever. I think that this kind of moves into the second thing that happens that leads us to believe that Luke and Lorelai could reasonably end up together is that Luke deals with a lot of issues on his own. And this fight for April and getting partial custody of April is a huge part of it. So Katie, what are some of the issues you think Luke resolves within himself that leads him to be, you know, open and available to Lorelai love at the end of the series? I must start this moment uh by eating crow (laughs) several episodes (laughs) ago i took a very strong stance that i didn't buy luke as a scorpio and i apologize i think that i was wrong i really take it back um because i now observe him really to be a pretty textbook scorpio you know i think he's really determined and single-minded in achieving his goals. And we see that in good ways, obviously, like when he's first pursuing Lorelai, but we also see that in bad ways where he gets so single focus that he cannot compartmentalize and deal with sort of the multitudes and complexities of life all at once. And I think that he had to figure that out. He had to realize that it's not just one thing. It's not all or nothing. Like I can uh, prioritize and delegate and not let the things that matter to me slip through the cracks. So mm. I take it back. He's a Scorpio. He's a Scorpio and he learns to balance it. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that was huge. And I think it feels like a few things, but I think it's all part of the same idea is he, like Lorelai, this is part of the reason why they are, I think, as you said in an earlier episode, magnets, because they are opposites but in the some some ways they're so similar um and so sometimes they're attracted to each other and sometimes they bounce off of each other in negative ways because he is also so stubborn and he's so stuck in his ways and there's this plot kind of in the final season about him being stuck and i think obviously that was a big part of the lorelei breakup is that he was unwilling to move or change he was unwilling to jump liz calls him out for it in this plot with the boat and him not wanting to sell the boat she says you're gonna end up just like dad dad never did anything with this boat and luke was like dad did things that made him happy and she said dad didn't do stuff because it made him happy he did stuff because he was afraid to do anything else and then you kind of see luke process that and probably connect it to lorelei's accusations of him not being you know, willing to take a risk. And he, this time, I think this is the development of Luke. He actively does things to try to solve it. He like tells April he wants to go to Disney World because that's new. And the real resolution of it is that he ends up selling his dad's boat and buying a new one within a day. And Lorelai makes a comment of like, it takes you a week to pick out a t-shirt or something like that. And I think this is part of him realizing the way that he was doing things was not working. It ended things with Lorelai. It might lead to him living out of fear. And I think him actively being able to recognize that and take steps to solve it is hugely important in his ability to grow and be available again. Should we talk about Philadelphia story? Yeah. I mean, there's two sort of really nice 
parallel bookendy hospital moments in season seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is when Luke is freaking out because uh, April is sick and he calls Lorelai. She tells him it's probably appendicitis. He takes her to the emergency room and then Lorelai meets him there and just like make sure everything is okay. So later after April surgery, Luke's in the room sitting with her and they're watching Philadelphia story on the TV. And the scene he's watching is Catherine Hepburn and her ex-husband. And he says something about how he like didn't come through to for her before when they wanted to elope to Maryland. Just to remind us all, that's where Lorelai wanted to elope at the end of season six, which always felt random to me. I was like, why Maryland? It's Maybe she's this. a big Philadelphia story fan. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> and you can see Luke have this realization. Uh, it's kind of like a second woe moment for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you can, it's so similar to when he first got the self-help book and was listening and realized that he can see her face. I think he's watching this scene after Lorelai just majorly came through for him. And I think he realizes, wow, this person is so a part of my life and I care for her and she has come through for me in so many ways. I kind of messed up in that I should have fought for this harder. Yeah. He also just sees, uh, he has just seen her ring. So he knows that she ended up marrying Christopher. Ah. Yeah. But I, I think in general, this ability to fight, like to learn how to do something difficult and fight for something or fight for someone is also a huge part of his growth. He's been a fighter in that he's stubborn and he will like go after things that he wants, but he's never had to really go after anything that caused him to change his ways except for mm-hmm. Lorelai. But then when things got too hard, it required too much change. He wasn't able to do it. And I Mm -hmm. think that the April custody drama and having to fight for partial custody taught him how to fight for something that's not going to be easy, that's going to be a long and difficult and tedious process, that's going to involve lawyers, which he hates, and trials and suits and all of these things he doesn't like. And he says it himself, he's like, I can't not do it. And I think that him doing it and him succeeding kind of teaches him that fighting for something is worth it. You know, going through a hassle for something is worth it. And it proves for him that it is possible for him to handle big, difficult changes and challenges. Um, I agree. And I think there's, I think, yeah. And I think there's a couple ways in which he realizes he's already done that. And I think that sort of hindsight perspective helps too, where like he, I think early on when all the April stuff started, part of what freaked out Luke and, led to him sort of pulling back from Lorelai was this view that he held of her as this perfect mother and how Mm. he was judging himself for being an absent father, even though he had no way of knowing. And I think that that really sort of held him back and put in all this stigma in his brain about how he was as a father. And I think later you see this when Rory and Lorelai are like belated Christmas shopping and they run into April and Luke doing the exchange And they end up talking about all these ways in which Luke was sort of a great father for Rory. And really that plot device in that moment is to help Lorelai write her letter, which it does. But I think for Luke, it also helps him realize, oh, I've kind of done this before. And from that point on, he really sort of owns the fact that he's been a father figure for Rory. So I think it helps him to understand not only can I be a good father with Lorelai around, 
I've done it before and Mm -hmm. it was helpful. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think it's a sense of confidence is not the right word. It's almost a sense of like ownership over himself and his accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes him, you know, we see it. We see it with April and we see it in these last few episodes with Lorelai. It makes him more feeling more open because he's able to just own his accomplishments and own who he is. And I think when you can do that, but still be receptive to change, like that's what that's what confidence is, I think, in a way, is knowing exactly who you are and what you've done, but not getting stuck in that. Yeah, I think people often confuse confidence for pride. Mm -hmm. uh, And they think it's I'm not wrong. And I've never been wrong, which is pride. I think confidence is, oh, yeah, I was wrong. I'm so excited to be able to fix that. And, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm going to make it right. Right. And that's much harder to do. (laughs) Yeah. But it's so much better. Yeah. And I think I think this transitioned really nicely. I think that is kind of the final thing that needed to happen between the two of them for them to move back towards romance is they both needed to admit that they were wrong, which for these two characters we see happen so infrequently in the 120 hours of Gilmore Girls. They apologize very infrequently. So to see them both do it, I feel like shows the exact right kind of growth that they've both shown. Luke in this, what we just talked about, finding this confidence and her being able to see someone else's point of view and and let her walls down a bit and apologize. And so we see it in this moment. They apologize in the middle of a hay bale maze because, you know, their their relationship is a maze. Uh, it's Ooh. confusing. There's lots of left turns and right turns. And are they going to get out of it? Who knows? Um, but they have this really nice apology scene, which I find is very important. Um, so it sounds like this. I messed up. That night I, I went to Christopher. I'm sorry. I mean, I never admitted it to you that it was wrong what I did, and it was, and I'm really sorry. Okay, thanks. I don't know why I didn't say this before. Ah. You know, I'm sorry, too, because... I don't know, it's just... (laughs) Now that I've had April, it's... You know, I've learned a lot, and I, I, I was crazy to think that I had to fix everything in my relationship with April before I could really be with you, and... That's just not how you fix things. I mean, you know, things just don't stand still. They're always changing. Yeah. I guess I was uh, compartmentalizing, if that's what you call it. I mean, I should have opened my compartments. I should have gotten your help. I wanted to help. I know. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry also because I think I kind of used April to push you away. You did, huh? Yeah, I think so. I was afraid. And I'm so sorry. I mean, thank God we get the apology scene. It's so satisfying. Yeah. And honestly, it was breaking my heart to watch like how stinted they were to have them just be even like half cordial was so hard to watch. And I think they really needed this time to like get everything out and say what they needed to say in order to heal the friendship, because I think that will always be the most important element for them before they could ever even think of diving back into a relationship Their friendship was first. And I think if they don't heal that bedrock, there's no chance beyond that. You can't build a house on 
a rocky foundation, you know, like they couldn't move forward in their relationship if there were all of these unsaid things. When you have a conflict with someone, when there's something that you're like, I have to talk to this person and it's going to be uncomfortable. You can't be around them until you have this conversation because you're like, nothing I say to you will be truthful until we address this huge issue. Which then sometimes in diving in, it's messier for a while because all the stuff gets everywhere. But I think for them, it really does clean it up. So from there, the last kind of few episodes of the series is them making their way back to each other. And what I like about their kind of second, maybe third falling in love is that it's kind of very similar to the first one in a lot of ways to the first way that they fell in love because we have these like huge acts of service. You know, it's like they're still the same people that they always were. They just have solved a lot of their shit. It parallels a lot of the early season banter and bickering, too, because yeah. I think once we mm-hmm. saw them in love, we forgot that sometimes banter takes the form of bickering. Like, it's not always hunky-dory. Yeah. And the scene where they go car shopping makes me want to rip my eyeballs out. Like, it's so stressful and so awkward with them just being cordial until finally it breaks and they start bickering at each other. And she can't stop smiling. And he's like, why are you smiling? And she won't say, but it's because finally they're back to something that's familiar. If you are just being cordial with someone, it sort of implies that you don't care. But if you're fighting with someone, you care. So the fact that they were able to get under each other's skin like that, I think, gives her hope that they're back on track, which is cute. Yeah. But I think one of the huge things that shows Lorelai's growth actually is the karaoke and (laughs) obviously it's Gilmore Girls and it's heightened and it's a little on the nose but I think it's a very literal way to show that Lorelai has never been very good at being in touch with her feelings or expressing her feelings. She's very capable of expressing her opinions but being vulnerable to anyone she is not good at. She sings I Will Always Love You for those who haven't watched it in a while and she sings it at uh, the bar that is shown about three times in the entire series of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> the one bar that they had on the, the WB bars. <laughs> yeah, Casey's. And Luke walks in halfway through the song and she ends up serenading him essentially. And at the end of it, she has this little like shrug that was just very like, yeah, that's it. I'm accepting it. I'm always going to love you. Whatever, it's cheesy, but I think I really do like that moment of her being able to be in touch with and express her feelings. Yeah. And honestly, I think it must have been harder for them to get back together this time than it was to get together the first time or to get back together the first time because once you've tried it, it's different. I think we haven't really talked about this, but like once you explore a what if, it kind of stops being a what if. They're dealing with something else now in that it's more of like a what should be or what should have been what if we had done it right I think there's so much auxiliary baggage attached to it now that there wasn't the first time and that's got to be really hard to wade through and get to the root of it versus the first time it's just like hey let's give it a go right right so kudos to her kudos to them and I think (laughs) and listen I it's just like a brief aside I love Liz and DJ as characters But they have, Liz describes this theory of them, of how they're in like two different like space-time continuums and they just need to find a wormhole to be able to connect to each other. And it's Liz and TJ and so they're crazy. But I kind of do feel like that's what you're saying is the what if we did it right is being able to identify the things that need to change. And I think that's the wormhole is them both being in the place where they have 
fix their own issues and having the communication and awareness of feelings to reach out to the other person. And I think that's what doing it right is in general for people, but specifically with them. Are you saying we should have been listening to Listen TJ this whole time? Yeah, I'm saying go back. <laughs> Everyone go back, do a little rewatch. Join and- a vegetable cult. Yeah, just make all the decisions that they make. <laughs> uh so the series ends with i think the greatest the greatest grandest act of service in that luke stays up all night and stitches everyone's tents and tarps and anything he can find together so that he can still throw rory's surprise graduation ceremony even though it rains the series ends with lorelei realizing that luke's the one who has done it And she goes up to him and he says, I just like to see you happy. And then they kiss and we pan out and we are led to believe that they have a pretty happily ever after. And the final shot is Lorelai and Rory eating at Luke's and he's there around them. And I love that. And we'll see that again. There's a moment I really love in the reboot. But yes, it's Gilmore Girls. But like somehow he's always a part of it. Like the two of them are the hardest. The heart of the show, but like the three of them are the heart of the show. And so, I mean, we saw that like the first scene of the whole show was Lorelai and Luke, you know, he's integral. So I love that they ended with that sort of trio because I was like, yep, that's home. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's the person that was in front of you the whole time. He was Mm -hmm. always there. You just had to like open your eyes and find a wormhole and then you could be together. Because I feel like that's the big lesson of the reboot as well. Which leads us to the reboot. Uh, So the reboot is called A Year in the Life, and it premiered on Netflix in 2016, nine years after season seven of Gilmore Girls. Here's what's crazy, and here's what gets me. It's like nine years, you guys. That's that's enough time to, like, give up on something. Mm Mm-hmm. And we didn't. And they didn't. Listen, if there's an everyday miracle, that's it. You know what I mean? Because it's so nice to be able to revisit and see how you've changed, how they've changed, the way that you interpret these stories differently. And just to be given that gift of home, which I think is part of the Mm -hmm. feeling of the whole show. So thank you very much, Netflix. I'm pleased. Yeah. I also think it's a nice little love letter to television. What other medium can influence people so deeply that they can be with characters for seven years and then nine yeah. years later, still want them so that when it comes again, you do feel like you're coming home again. So we won't recap the entire reboot because there's a lot of different things happening. But we are going to talk about what is going on with Lorelai and kind of what her main conflict is in the reboot. Essentially, Lorelai is in the same place. She is still running the inn. But her internal conflict is I think she's really struggling with essentially her second act. She talks a lot about her mortality and how she feels like the clock is ticking. She says it feels like everyone is moving all around her. And what I feel like is interesting is that she has created her life so specifically. You know, it goes back to these early seasons where she's like, as long as everything is exactly the way I want it, I'm totally flexible. And she set up these boundaries. You know, she doesn't let a lot of people in. She doesn't let herself get vulnerable. She's someone who is so resistant to change. And I think it's out of fear of losing what's stable. And we hear her talk about that 
a lot throughout the series is that she needs things that are stable. And I think it's why she clings to the familiar. You know, she doesn't want a new Jeep. She's still driving that Jeep in the reboot nine years later. She <laughs> uh, can't find a chef to replace Suki. She's watching these things change around her, like Rory growing up and Michelle wanting to leave the inn, her dad dying seasons literally changing around her uh the four titles of the reboot (laughs) i feel like she feels things are moving around her and the stability is slipping through her fingers and because she is lorelei and though i do think she's very resistant to being vulnerable and change she's also impulsive and so instead of like being with her feelings she needs to find a way to fix it and i think a lot of the reboot is her attempts to fix what's going on instead of being in touch with it yeah I think she's coming up against the interesting thing in that like the only constant in life is change so no no matter how much she tries to stay the same yeah things will change Mm -hmm. and I think what she does in trying to find these fixes is like plugging holes sort of so like she has all this tension wanting to come to the surface and be dealt with and she'll plug that hole and then it'll just like find another place to pop out and then she'll plug that hole and it'll find another place. She spends the whole reboot spinning in circles until eventually she's like, oh, if I just like lean into this, it's really easy to fix. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the holes she plugs, I think, are some unresolved Luke and Lorelai issues that come up. Um, So one of the things that happens in the reboot is that they consider having a kid and they consider having a kid through um, IVF, which brings Paris Geller to the plot. So that could have been partially Mm -hmm. the reason that they did it. But I also do think it was a fair thing to happen because this idea of Luke and Lorelai having a kid was kind of unresolved on the TV show. They both mentioned wanting to have kids at a certain point and it kind of never gets dealt with so I think this was their way of dealing with it so what did we think of this plot do you think that this was an issue that needed to be resolved between them and did this plot on the reboot do that I mean I feel like all of the issues between Luke and Lorelai we see in the reboot are the same issues we've seen yeah. before. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, the nostalgia is like too much because right. I'm like, we fixed this already. <laughs> this felt exactly to me like Luke's dark day and the fight they had about the boat initially because they had this conversation in the diner and he very clearly says, yeah, maybe I would have wanted to, but now I'm okay. I think it's too late. I'm really happy with what we have. Yeah. I don't want to do it. I'm happy. Could not be more clear. The next scene is them going to like meet with Paris about IVF. And, you know, it just feels very much like her thinking in the way that she thinks and not listening to Luke and listening to his words. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a huge thing I see for Lorelai in the reboot and in the show is this concept of what should be and what is and like expectations versus reality. So I think, again, she's worried for Luke that he has missed out on being a father to a little girl or like a little kid. So I think she gets hung up on what it should look like or, or on fixing it by having a baby, which is not really the fix. Yeah. I don't think the fix is having a baby at all. I think it's two things. I think it's Emily makes some comment about how everything is always the way that Lorelai wants and how that's probably how it is with Luke, too. And so I think part of it is her feeling this way, this hazy, uneasy way, and being like, oh, maybe this is the solution. Maybe I'm going to prove my mom wrong and I should have listened to Luke more in her kind of overcompensating and to give Luke what he quote unquote wants, even though 
she is not listening, as you said. (laughs) And I think it's also maybe a baby will fix this feeling that I'm having. And I think it's obviously something we see a lot in television and movies and life of people fixing Mm -hmm. issues with a baby. A baby is not going to fix what's going on between them. All it is is communication between them. They talk about how they have kept their lives very separate. Again, it's this issue we saw in season six and seven with April and them not being able to combine their lives. The fix of this issue is the same fix as the baby, which is they just need to talk about what they actually want. I mean, this this comes up with the therapy thing. That kills me. We saw them deal with sort of mental health topics, yeah. like when he got the self-help book and she makes fun of it and he gets mad that mm-hmm. she's making fun of it. And then eventually they talk about it and it's fine. So then when Emily asks Lorelai to go to therapy with her, Luke's like freaking out. And I know he's doing it under the guise of like, saving her from her mother Mm -hmm. but then she feels the need to lie about it like when she's still going and then it gets weird so it's just this whole mess if we just talked about it and we're like yeah good for you to go to therapy yes i'm still going to therapy and then in response to her keeping secret he keeps a secret about the shopping Mm -hmm. for franchise location just talk about it i thought we had learned this already Yeah. yeah i don't totally buy that they hadn't learned it by now i think something that comes up with couples when they keep things from each other or when they go to therapy is they assume, oh, if you go to therapy, you're going to talk about me and you're going to make me an issue. Or if you're keeping things from me, that's about me and an issue with our relationship. And so I think that they keep these things separate and they keep therapy separate because they think that if they bring it together, there's going to be some kind of, I don't know, explosion of some sort. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, we're so quick to assume that things are about us and they so Mm -hmm. rarely are. It's so much smarter to assume that the things people do and say are 100% about them and 0% about you. But I think that that's their fear in, in combining. And I think you see that with this fact that you know, Luke very firmly feels like he has everything he needs in the relationship and in life. And Lorelai doesn't. And he is convinced that that is her leaving him. Like he's convinced mm-hmm. that that means that she is unhappy with the relationship and she's going to bounce. And it's just so much simpler in terms of like Occam's razor, the theory, you know, the simplest solution is all, often the best. It's so much simpler to assume that it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. She, Lorelai can want more out of life. And that doesn't mean she doesn't want Lou. Those aren't mutually exclusive. I think this leads nicely into one of the other unresolved kind of tensions of Luke and Lorelai that came up throughout the series and was never fully addressed. Is this idea of Luke being small town and Lorelai wanting more. You know, we see that like there's this part where Dean kind of comes up to him and makes this snarky comment about all you'll ever be is this and they want more and you and me, same thing. And I think this comes up at the reboot again, as we just said, because she seems unhappy and unsatisfied in some way and he gets so terrified. But I think what the whole A Year in a Life is actually about is Lorelai seeing all these things around her change and feeling some kind of clock on her life and she does start to feel like something has to change you know Michelle wants things to change and she's kind of like maybe as a point and so I think she 
is Lorelai makes this impulsive decision to go do wild. And when she's there, she meets all of these women who are talking about how there is something inherently missing from their lives or their lives are terrible in some way. You know, they're like, oh, you've got a man. Oh, he cheats. Right. Or like, you've got a kid. You hate mm-hmm. your kid. Right. Because they're all missing something. And that's why they're doing wild. But I think her big realization at the end of this is that she realizes she has most everything she needs in her life. And that's the clarity that she finds. And I think when she realizes that, when she, you know, has that moment on the top of the mountain where she's just looking out on nature, on everything that already exists, it kind of a little bit comes back to her being able to like just stand still and be with her feelings for a second. And I think that then those walls come down and in this realization of having, of realizing she already has everything she needs, she doesn't need to do wild to find something. I think it makes her vulnerable enough to be able to call her mom and talk about her dad. And I think it allows her to find this clarity that Luke is everything that she needs in the same way that she is everything that he needs. And he says this to her when she comes back in the kitchen is, all I'll ever need is this. And so I think that's what's so beautiful about that scene when she comes back is he has assumed that She's realized that she needs more. And I think what's beautiful is that she actually realizes she doesn't. She needs some small incremental changes. She wants to expand the in because she's not afraid of change anymore. She's not afraid of risk. But I think this issue of Luke and Lorelai being on different pages and her needing more is not true. In their wedding, their very simple small wedding as a resolution of this is all I'm ever going to need. Yeah, I think it's interesting with Lorelai. I find that she gets a lot of her sense of self from being self-made and independent. And that's a great quality. Um, And we've seen her struggle with it in the past too, though, from, you know, letting people help her and love her. But I think for a long time, this self-starter-ness that she had meant to her nothing big or nothing flashy and like a total separation from her parents. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me in the reboot, like enough time has passed and she's finally happy enough to realize that you can have a little bit of both as long as it's on your terms. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be all or nothing and you don't always have to be in fight or flight mode, which I feel like ever since she was 16, she was, you know, she was always running and figuring it out and being a survivor. And so I think that happiness is like a totally foreign feeling to her. And it takes this gorgeous, you know, moment uh, when she's looking out at the vista and she has that beautiful monologue when she calls her mom Mm -hmm. to realize like there's no all or nothing. Her past wasn't all bad or all good. Her present isn't all bad or all good. It's all a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. you know, and she tells that story about her perfect birthday to her mom and it's it was with her dad and it was so small and quiet and not flashy that she was crying because she left school and they just went to the movies and they never talked about it again. And I think that's just a great story for her to share with Emily Mm -hmm. about Richard, but also it helps her realize that perfect doesn't necessarily mean big, grand, flashy fireworks and balloons. Perfect might mean quiet and home and everything you already have. Yeah. I will say there's a nice parallel to Luke's first dinner with the Gilmores when they go over and Emily meets with him about Richard's will Mm -hmm. because... It's so you see how much they've grown as a couple. They're so much more of a united front than yeah. they were that mm-hmm. first time. So I think even before she goes on this whole journey and has this revelation, we can see that they are more in tune than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree. And I think that that's what's interesting about this reboot in general is after like years and years of there being drama and them not being on the same page, they actually really now are. And she has all these moments of like, we're happy. Luke and I were happy. And she seems like she's questioning it. And I think what she realizes is like, yeah, they are happy. She maybe needed to find some clarity for herself and get in touch with her feelings and be able to mourn her dad. But Luke isn't the issue. You know, their relationship is the stable thing in her life that is grounding her. And their, you know, now united front is the thing that works for both of them. And I think that's why um, when the Netflix Year in the Life first came out, I was really bummed that we didn't get to see the big wedding that they talk about with the flash mobs and, you know, the whole town there, because that's the sort of like big scene that you love in TV shows. And I actually remember reading at the time that they ran out of money and so they didn't, (laughs) they couldn't shoot it. But in rewatching everything and being a little bit older and kind of understanding the themes of Gilmore Girls a bit more. I actually really do like that their wedding ceremony ends up being this small, intimate thing. You know, they sit there and they're talking about the next day and the big fancy wedding that they are going to have. And they say something about like, it feels like we should already be married, which I love because it's they already are. And to me, this whole wedding, it's not a wedding of like the wedding is the thing that shows the commitment. It's the years of showing up for each other that showed the commitment. I think the wedding happened because Lorelai was like ready to move through what she was going for. And in realizing she has everything she needs, she doesn't need to be ready to bolt. She doesn't need to keep her walls up. She doesn't need to keep things separate just in case it doesn't work out, you know, these kind of fear-based things. So I end up really liking that they get to have this kind of very intimate ceremony where it's just her and Luke and Rory's there. And I think that goes back to it being like the three of them, you know, I completely agree. I think they spent years and years looking outward for the solution to their problems. And as soon as the second they realized that all they needed to do was look inward, they both realized they had everything they needed. And it was the wedding was just a natural next step. Like Mm -hmm. everything solved itself so quickly. Um, You know, I think that explains the feeling that you were talking about of I feel like we should be married already. Once they stopped searching, it was effortless. And I agree with you. And this is the moment I was alluding to before. Like, I love them running off to do it in the middle of the night. Um, I think it's so perfect. Like the shot of them in the truck with Luke driving and Lorelai and Rory with their heads out of the top. It almost makes me cry because it's just so perfect. That's Again, it's exactly what the show was. And we're just touching base with our three faves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, There are also some really nice parallels here, again, to season one. But instead of, you know, waking Rory up to sneak off and run away from her responsibilities and from her wedding. She's waking her up to sneak off and like run right headfirst into her life and embrace everything she's always wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a really gorgeous sort of turnaround, whether they meant to do that or not. It's a really nice bookend. Yeah. It was right in front of you the whole time. And it's Luke, but it's also this small town, these people. It's like everything you ever needed Mm -hmm. was right here. And I think that's what I'm getting emotional. I think that's what's beautiful about Gilmore Girls is that it's this story of you can find everything you need and have a full, enriching, fulfilling life, even in the simplest and smallest of towns. And she has everything Mm -hmm. she needs right in front of her. And so does he. And it's each other in this town. And I think that's just, you know, what the show is all about. Guys, that's 
that's it. They that's happily ever after. That's happily ever after. They uh, just end sitting on the gazebo having a nice chat. Then okay, I just want a quick aside. This is a PSA to all of my friends. Don't announce your pregnancy on my wedding day. I, <gasps> right? Could you imagine? So stress, especially with like the that situation. That's so stressful. Like, what is she going to do? Who is it? There are so many questions. I, that's all she's going to be thinking about all day. I don't want that drama. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. I yeah. feel like they're so blissfully happy and they had their lovely nighttime wedding that it's just going to be a celebration and they're going to be like, we're going to figure it out. I read this interview and they were like, we took where you lead. I will follow very seriously in this uh, <laughs> in these final four words. And I was like, wow, okay. Well, and what was nice just for as a parting shot on, on where you lead, I will follow was the then circular nature of Emily being alone at the end, which it yeah. doesn't sound like it's a nice thing, but it's I'm so happy for her. Me it too. was so cool to see, like, for the first time, she's able to stand on her own. Yeah. Yeah. She's like a full, she's a full Gilmore girl. Uh, all right. So we're wrapping up. So, Katie, I'll ask you first. After all of this, after everything we've talked about, from the flirtation stages to the watching someone date other people to the getting together and the breakups and finding your way back to each other, what would you say to someone who is in a Luke and Lorelai romance? If you are in a Luke and Lorelai what-if situation or you suspect you might be, my first bit of advice would be Really just to take a deep breath, um, which sounds (laughs) simple, but it's going to be a lot and it won't be easy because with what ifs, what if friendships, what if relationships, they're so uh, back and forth and sort of cyclical, like you can think you're done and then you're not done. It's just so much. So it won't be easy, but it might be perfect uh, mainly and, you know, perhaps most unexpectedly. You'll have to do a lot of work within yourself, which is never easy. But I think what ifs involve a lot of fantasy. And sometimes we can delude ourselves into thinking we can just like beam ourselves over to our fantasy mm-hmm. and be like, I'm ready for my fantasy. But that's just like never how life works. You, I mean, of <laughs> course, you're, you're born worthy of happiness and love, but like you really have to work for your perfect life and you have to work to keep earning it. Um, and that's not easy. Also, because there's no such thing as perfect, but I think you have to rise to the occasion and you have to fight for the things you want and believe in. Um, My second bit of advice would be to trust things to happen the way they're supposed to happen. You know, it's not always going to look the way you imagined. That's not the end of the world. It it could look better than you imagined. So I think at the end of it, it's kind of this catch 22 that you have to be willing to let go of your fantasy in order to ever Mm. get your fantasy. Yeah, that is, uh, I feel targeted by uh, <laughs> some of that advice um because i mean like obviously i picked this couple for a reason to start with on the podcast and i have always loved them obviously but in doing this rewatch and this work with kind of a more critical eye there's a lot that in real life not fantasy if that was happening to me or to one of my friends it would exhaust me And I think in the ways in which they have their guards up in the beginning and are unable to be in touch with their feelings, most people could not get through that. And listen, if my friend was in a relationship with somebody who could come close to taking action and then go back to not doing it for a long time, 
I might tell them to move on. And if I had a friend whose partner was keeping a huge secret from them and not including them in their life, then I might tell them to move on. And if I had a friend whose partner kept their walls way up and then made really erratic, irrational, damaging decisions, I might tell them to move on. However, only that friend, only you, can know in your core if you can live without that person. And I think what happens with Luke and Lorelai is that they realize very slowly and very painfully and over seasons and seasons and years and years that they cannot live without each other. They are each other's perfect complement. They are each other's biggest ally. They are the person that fits perfectly in each other's life. As she, as she says, it has to fit. And so what I like about it is that because they have this realization that they are each other's perfect person, they are forced to evolve. And I think Luke is the only person that can make Lorelai evolve and vice versa. And what I love is that in so many ways, it comes back to the Hoopa scene. She says, you think people can really evolve together, right? And he says, if you can find that one person who is willing to put up with all your crap, who doesn't want to change you or dress you or make you eat French food, then marriage can be okay. <laughs> the foreshadowing of France. Wow. So I think that's what it is. And that's who they are to each other. They are willing to put up with each other's crap, but they don't want to change each other because they fit perfectly within each other's life. So what I, the last thing I'll say is that I love that in some ways it is so, obviously they have this big complicated love story, but in some ways it is so simple and it comes down to your gut and it comes down to, they were right in front of each other the whole time from the first moment of the show. It's this feeling that you can't shake. I think we said that in the first episode of her, like, what do we think of Luke? And they just had to find the wormhole to like deal with their own shit and let their walls down and stand still for a minute. And then they are able to open their eyes and see what was in front of them the whole time. It just took a lot of work to get there, as you were saying. As Lorelai says in that last scene with Rory, it was a long journey. <laughs> <sighs> so, ah. yeah. Katie, overall, do you think you would want a Luke and Lorelai relationship? I don't know, actually. That's a tough one. Um, in general, yes. But it's hard. I don't know. It's you know, no one writes songs about the ones that come easy, but that's no. <laughs> a lot of work. And granted, you have your whole life. You really do have your whole life to figure it out. And I love that they were with other people and then they weren't with other people because it shows that it's not really this one clear path to happily ever after. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 21 years. I don't know. That's a doozy. That <laughs> a doozy. I think, you know what? I think I'm going to say yes. I think I'm going to settle with yes. I would want that because- yeah that type of relationship proves to you that there is no one path and that perfect doesn't look the way you think perfect is going mm -hmm. to look. Perfect is the Charlie Brown Christmas tree and the like yeah. cake that leans to one side and it's the messy, like that's the yeah. good stuff. That's the life stuff. So I think that's the main benefit of a relationship like this. Yeah. And I think I appreciate a relationship that requires people to actively choose to do work on themselves because yeah. even like in the simple gut instinct of you're the person for me, 
that still doesn't mean it comes easily. Just because you know that it's right doesn't mean it doesn't require work. And I love a relationship. I love a partner that is willing to do work to continue to evolve. And I think in general, I want that like simple, dependable compliment to me, someone who puts up with me and doesn't want to change me, but will absolutely plan a flash mob for my wedding. That's what I want. You know what it is? And that's this is, I think, why I was snagging before. I agree with everything you said, but I like take issue with one part of the verbiage, mm-hmm. which is that they can't live without each other. I don't think that's what it is at all. I think it's they can and they've tried it and they choose not to. They absolutely yeah. don't want to. Right, right. You're and right. I think that that's the difference. I think that is what is more important, that it's not like, I need you, you complete me, that it's like, I am happy and fulfilled on my own. And what makes life even better is having you here with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. All right, guys. Well, we did it. We did it. That's been us. The final episode of this Luke and Lorelai season is going to be more so led by you, our listeners. So we're, we've been asking for some of your feedback and your hot takes and the scenes you love and the people you want to talk about. I'm so excited. I really want people to disagree with me. Yeah. I really want people to be like, you like Christopher? He sucks. No, I want to like dissect all the things. Yeah, I want to dissect all the things. I want to hear your takes. Tell us we're wrong. So as always, you can find us on social media and tune in next week for our mailbag episode. And we will see you then. Peace. All right, everyone. That's our show, as they say. Thank you so much to Katie Butterwitz for being here. You can follow her on Instagram at Katie underscore Bud and on Twitter and TikTok at Katie Butterwitz. Thank you to Chris Meisner for composing our fabulous theme music that you're currently listening to. You can find him on Instagram at Chris underscore Meisner, M-E-I-S-S-N-E-R. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram while you're there. We're at Talking Ship Podcast or visit our website, TalkingShipPodcast.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815 on all of the platforms. That's Megan with no H. Thank you very much. And 815 like Flight 815 from Lost. Yep, that's quite literally the reason. Please, please subscribe to and review the pod if you want to be a pal. And if you don't want to be a pal, that's ultimately your choice. I can't really stop you, but I do hope you keep listening either way. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you feel satisfied and satiated. And I hope you join us again. This has been Talking Ship. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.